So today's daf is Pezayin in uh, Masechet Psachim Paz. So we're talking about it's gold. It's worth it's worth gold. It is the uh, the starting a new parak Aisha, and it deals with an issue. Uh, the subject again is on Korban Pesach for this and also the following parak until we get to the parak that deals with uh, the seder, which I think will be extremely valuable for everyone because it'll be a terrific opportunity to review all the halachot. This parak deals with. Uh, with the issue of minui, that a person has to sign up for the Korban Pesach in advance, something that we're familiar with. Now, it's self-evident that if a person wants to join uh, in a Korban Pesach, he has to register for it, like we've seen before. That's clear in the Torah. They have to do that. But the question becomes more complicated, where people have relationships uh, and family and extended family and who's coming. And we know this for planning a seder, but we don't really think about it in terms of Korban Pesach. So Aisha, for example, a woman is a classic example because let's say that you have a situation where a woman has two uh, families that she could hypothetically consider herself a part of. One is her father's family and the other one is her husband's family. So let's say both her husband and her father were assuming they're all in Jerusalem anyway. So they, you know, they both slaughter the Korban Pesach, having her in mind as one of the registrants for it. The question is, what does she intend? Okay, it doesn't make an, it doesn't invalidate their Korban if they have in mind to add somebody to the list that is not, doesn't need it. It's that that's okay. But what about her? Which one is she considered registered for? So it says when she's living with her husband, meaning to say that she is already Nisua. In those days, you had a period of time where you were Arusa for a while. You were married but you were living in your father's house still before the actual chuppah. There was about a year intervening there. So when she was already living with her husband, so automatically the assumption is that even if her father also uh, brought the Korban Pesach thinking that it would be um, for her, she goes along with her husband's korban. But this was the minhag in those days, and I think it's still pretty common even today that the first holiday that a couple is married, they spend with the, um, with the wife's family. And that was a, that's a custom goes all the way back to the times of the Mishnah, apparently. So that first holiday, right? So in that case, when she goes to the uh, uh, to her father's house, in that case, so then she can eat from either one because there is an assumption that she uh, that either uh, one would be valid for her. Now the Gemara is going to explain that we're ta- we're talking about a specific circumstance here. That uh, but Rashi says it. He says that they would go to their father's house for the. First, in other words, they would go to the. Um, to the wife's family for the first holiday that they were married and says she can eat from wherever she wants so the Rashi explains since she doesn't normally go to her father's house all the time there's, therefore it's a doubt unless she makes it clear which one she wants to uh, sign up for meaning she can decide but the question is when does she have to decide that the Gemara is going to explain doesn't mean she can decide at the dinner table which one you know th- th- that doesn't work but um, so, women, so women and children are automatically obligated at the same level as men so, right so that's the kind of yeah. So m- women are definitely obligated. Children, obviously, if they're under bar mitzvah, right. they wouldn't be, but they can eat from the korban pesach. Um, the thing is that the question is when you have, and so automatically you would assume that the father bring korban pesach. He's in, assuming that whoever lives in his house is included. I mean, his children and his wife and other included. But if that once the father-in-law the gets involved, there's nothing. The obligation is there. The obligation yeah. is there. The obligation is there for sure. The question is which one can they eat from? Right, so he has uh, the the yatom is an orphan. He has no parents, so he has um, he has people who are uh, who are responsible for him. Right, so he has the um, 
Yeah, the the, the court court appointed guardian basically. But let's say he has two, and they both slaughter their korban pesach, thinking he's going to join them. So again, it says in that case, Yochamu Kam he can decide which one he wants to go to because they both are possibilities. Now you have the, what about if you have an eve that is shared by two people? So he can't go to either one. Um, and and uh, Rashi says even if the uh, uh, you know, because the, because let's say you have two owners, and obviously these people are being a little bit stingy, but you know, and but the point is that if if owner A says, "Look, I'm willing to share my korban pesach with the half of the slave that I own, but I don't want to, so I don't want to help the half of the slave I don't own." Right, and the other one says the same thing. So then he's caught. He has nowhere to go in that case. Right? Rashi says the only way it will work if they both agree that one of them will take him for Pesach, basically, and he will be on their korban Pesach. But in theory, they could each, because he belongs to both households, they could each say, "I'm only allowing him the half that belongs to me to eat the korban Pesach," which of course would be absurd, and the person wouldn't be able to eat anything at all. Similar concept that if you have someone who's half uh, Evid and half Ben Chorin, now this can happen when you had uh, partnership owners, uh, you had partners, they owned an Evid, and one of them frees the Evid and one does not. It's actually a machlok at Beit Hillel and Beit Shammai. What to do in that case? It's famous. Beit Hillel says, oh, well, it should work one day for the, you know, he has one day off and one day working. You know, that's, a, that's how it should work. And Beit Shammai says, that's not good because he can never marry anybody. He's half a slave and half a free person. That's terrible. You have to let it, you have to force the owner. Uh, who still is holding on to him to let him go so that he can have a normal life. And actually, Beit Hillel in the end retracted and they agreed with Beit Shammai, famous thing. But in any case, they, but for the time that he is Chetzio Ben Chorin and Chetzio Evet, so again, he can't eat from his master's Korban Pesach because the master will say, I only want to share my Korban Pesach with the part that belongs to me. And not, I, I can't eat with only half of my being. Right now, obviously, if the owner could be a little bit more generous and chilled out, so then obviously he would uh, he would share it with the Evet just as a regular person. But the, the idea is that in theory, if he wanted to be makpid and say, I don't want to share it, so then he could exclude that Evid from eating from the... Um from the, his korban because may, because we assume the thing is the mistama she says lo the assumption is not that it, well, the assumption is that when the owner brings his korban pesach he only intends for the people who are fully subservient to him to be included in the korban pesach unless he says otherwise so the evid cannot assume that he's included because half of him is free now if the owner comes and says no I include you because I just want to be a nice guy that's fine but the assumption would be that he's only including in his korban pesach the servants that belong to him and that only includes half of this guy and you can't half eat something you can either eat it or not right so this is this is dealing with the complexities of signing up for the Korban Pesach now, Evid is not even obligated to, to eat the Korban Pesach sure he is oh, the a Evid. woman is obligated Evid, Evid. yeah but a woman and Evid is the same they, they have the same they're all obligated in everything except Mitzvot Man Grama and Pesach is an exception Yes, so they're obligated to Korban Pesach. So he has to find a way to do the mitzvah. That's complicated. Right. He's obligated, but the owners are not letting him. Right, right. It is a problem. He would have to find a way to do it, or he would be a, a nos. He would have no choice. He would be out of, it would have, out of his control, right? Now, Gemara says, Shamat mina So the implication of the Mishnah telling us that the woman can decide whose Korban Pesach she wants to eat from implies that it's taking a position on the famous question of yesh berah or en berah, which is, can you retroactively clarify something? 
right? If I say, and we, we've seen this in many, many, many applications throughout the Shas that we've been learning throughout the, the, the Gemara, many different applications of this idea of Barirah. Can you make a statement or make a decision later that retroactively establishes what you originally meant? So the father and the husband both brought the Korban Pesach and she's saying at the night of the Seder, you know what? I think I'll go with my father's Korban Pesach. It looks tastier and it looks like they did a better job roasting it. I don't know, whatever. So then all of a sudden, retroactively, she was signed up for that one. From the, at the time that they slaughtered it, she was, uh, she, she, she's saying, I really meant to be on that one. So she's, she, that's, that's letting the future determine the past, you know? So that's, that's, that's what you're saying works. So it says, my bishat shechita. It doesn't mean that she's allowed to decide afterwards, later. It means that she's that we asked her at the time of the shechita and she uh, she expressed her opinion then. But if she didn't express an opinion at the time, she can't just clarify it retroactively. In other words, the point then of the Mishnah is a little bit different than what it sounds like. Because the point of the Mishnah sounds like it means that when she co- there are two options for her at the dinner table and she can take either Korban Pesach of her father or her husband. But really what it's saying is no, that it's more complex. It's exactly the opposite, actually. It's worse. She has to make a statement about which one she wants to sign up for in advance. Otherwise, there's no way for her to go to either one because it's going to be a conflict. So it turns out that the way the Gemara explains the Mishnah is the opposite of what it sounds like because it sounds like it's easy breezy for her because she could choose with, uh, either one. But actually what it means is she has to make a definite choice in advance, right, well, w- before the shechita takes place, otherwise she's going to be stuck, right? That, that, so it's, you know, in, in a way, the opposite of what you think. Now, or a minute, it's, we have, an, obli- we have a, uh, an objection to our Mishnah. It says, The first holiday, a woman eats from her father's Korban Pesach because they go there for the first holiday. Uh, from the second holiday and on, meaning from the second year of their marriage and on, she can eat from uh, either one, from her father's or from the um, or from her husband's. So the question is: In our Mishnah, it had said that the first time she ha- that it says that uh, she can choose the first holiday. She has a choice between her husband and her father. It doesn't say that she automatically would eat from her father, be assumed to be on the father's korban if she doesn't say anything. It doesn't say that. In our Mishnah, it says that she has a choice, meaning to say she has to make a choice. It's not self-evident that she's going to be on her father's korban. Whereas in this bright, that sounds like it's self-evident. So it says, So the way that, that Rashi interprets this redufa, not redufa, is he says that what it means to say is that uh, our Mishnah means that she's is talking about a case where she always goes to her father's house for the holidays. Okay, so meaning I'm sorry that she doesn't always go, right? She now ridufa lelech tamid lebetavia. The bed balachavivla. She prefers to be at her husband's uh, with her husband's family, which was really how it went back in those days. Really, once you got married, you were like part of the husband's family. You didn't have that much to do with the with your own family on a regular basis anymore. So the um, so she wasn't normally going to her father's house. She normally would stick with her husband. So therefore, so for sure, all other holidays she would go after her her husband's korban. And it's a safik on the first one. It's a doubt. She has to articulate which one. However, the bright is talking about where she normally likes to go to her father's house. And so therefore, the first holiday it's a given that she's going with her father's korban. And on other ones, it's a doubt. In other words, the way that Rashi interprets it is that it depends on the girl's relationship with her family. If she normally goes to her father's and that's where she loves to be the most. So then the first holiday they're together for sure. Of course she wanted to be on her father's korban. And from then on, it's a doubt. She has to 
articulate each time which one she intends to be on. If she's somebody that didn't normally like to hang out with her father, you know, or her own family, and she liked her husband's family better, so then um, even the first holiday, it's a doubt whether she, you know, she has to articulate uh, which one she's going to be uh, going to be on. And in the future, the assumption is on the on the husbands, unless uh, stated otherwise. So that's how Rashi interprets the the piece here. Now the Gemara then segues into some agadot here. Now it says, and now it says, um, and now it says that uh, uh, what? Yeah, dechtiv. It says in the pasuk, "As aiti be'enav kimotzet shalom." Like it says, "Then I will be in his eyes, one who finds peace." This is from Shir Shirim. Rabbi Yochanan, kekala shnimtet shlema bet chamia udufal elech lagid shivcha bevet avia. Like a kala that wants to, that has found favor in her, uh, in the house of her father-in-law. In other words, her husband's family loves her, and she wants to go and tell her her parents how much her new family accepts her. As it says, It says that on that day, in the times of the redemption, that the Jewish people will call me Ishi, my husband, and they won't call me Baali. Baali has more of a negative connotation, like my master, right? Now, you know, it's like now in Israel, they're trying to get away from calling the husband Baali. They don't like it. They say Ishi instead of Baali, because they, Baali means like my master, you know, and they think that's a little bit too uh, sexist for their uh, for the modern sensibilities. You know, if you look in the Tanakh, they call their husband Adoni. You know, like uh, Sarah calls, her, calls Abraham Adoni. That's definitely uh, not going to fly today. You know, in any case, and Rabbi Yochanan said there, that she's like a bride, will be like a bride in the house of the father-in-law and not in the house of the uh, the father himself. In other words, there's something about the the you know being an addition to the uh, to the father-in-law's family, meaning the in-laws that love their daughter-in-law. There's something special about that relationship that sometimes you know even uh, is more attractive to the girl than her natural parents. Because natural parents, you always have somewhat maybe of a, a little bit of a strain. There's more of you know they discipline her. They're more you know they, she grew up in their house. It's a different different feeling. And when she's accepted and loved by the in-laws, it's kind of like a uh, you know it's a new relationship. So in that way, it doesn't have the baggage of child. Childhood. Maybe that's the reason, but um, but uh, you know she likes to she likes to show that, and therefore she can become more attached to the uh, father-in-law's family than to the you know to the in-laws than to her natural parents in some circumstances. It's saying not always because it's saying it depends on the circumstance of the girl. I'm Rabbi Yochanan. Rabbi Yochanan said. Oh, I'm sorry. I keep skipping the pasuk. Yeah. It says that we have a young sister and she doesn't have breasts formed yet. This is at, towards the end of Shira Shirim. I'm Rabbi Yochanan. So Elam, this is Elam. Which is a city where they, they learned, this is where Daniel was located actually during the, um, during the, uh, uh, the exile, the Babylonian exile. It says that he was living there. He was allowed, he was able to learn Torah, but he didn't really have any opportunity to teach Torah. However, uh, Rashi says that's to contrast it with Bavel, where you see that Ezra Sofer, that grew up in Bavel, was able to not only learn, but also to teach. So Bavel is better than Elam. Elam was a place where they could learn, but they didn't really have a chance to spread the Torah. In Bavel, they were allowed to learn, and they also were able to spread it. That's even greater. So the breasts are something that provide nourishment to others. That's the idea. So they're saying that they, you know, so that's a reference which says it doesn't have breasts. It means it's not able to nurse others and nourish others with the different Torah. Then it says, I am a wall and my breasts are like 
uh, the turrets of the wall or the um, the towers, right? This is uh, this is again at the end of Shir Shirim. So what does so what does Rabbi Yochanan say? Rabbi Yochanan, Ani Choma, I am a wall. Zotorah that is talking about the Torah itself. The towers are the Talmidei Chachamim that uh, that provide. Rashi says Shemeginin Alador. They they. Um, well, he says, "V'shaday ilu tamidei chachamim menikin achim k'shadayim halalu." That the tamidei chachamim provide uh, nourishment to others, like breasts provide nourishment to a baby. Megdalot shemignin alador that they protect the people as a result of the uh, of the teaching that they give, and that's the um, that's the uh, that's the the metaphor there. Rava marani chomazok neset Yisrael. Rava says, "No, the wall is the Jewish people." The towers that protect and that nourish and that support are the synagogues and the batei midrash. So that's more institutionally viewing it institutionally as opposed to viewing it individually. Right? The first one is saying Torah versus Talmud Chachamim. The second one is saying the Jewish people um, versus the uh, or and comparing that to the batei Knesset and batei midrash. Amar Rav Zutra Bar Tovia Amarav, my dichti, Vashabano Kinti, Megudalim Benurehem, Benotano Kezavio, Mechutavot of Nirechal. Well, what does it mean that our sons are like planted that have been grown, they're, they're like plants that have grown from their youth, and our daughters are like zaviot, they're like cornerstones that are shaped in the form of a hechal. Hechal here really means like a palace. You know, asher banenu kinti'im. What does it mean our children are like planted uh, plants? It means that from their youth, they've never tasted the taste of sin. They've, been, they've grown up in purity. What does it mean that our daughters are like cornerstones? These are the daughters of Israel, the virgin daughters of Israel, that they preserve their opening to their husband. Now it either means, Rashi says it either means that they preserve their virginity until marriage, or it means that they preserve even during the time that they're married, their nida, they observe nida, and even if they have a desire for their husband, they inform the husband that they're not able to be intimate based on the halacha, and they, uh, and they follow that. And, um, and similarly, does it say, it says that it's filled like the, the tool, that the, the vessel that throws the blood, uh, like the corners of the Mizbech. So it's using the fact that it says that they are full, meaning that even though they are full of desire, they still control themselves. Um, just like the altar is full of blood, I guess it's using that, that metaphor, or it could mean, again, a, a reference to Nida, that it's referring to blood there. Another uh, possibility is Mehacha, it says, Right? So, um, the idea is that uh, from there you see that it says mizavenu mileim that our cornerstones are mileim they are full meaning again either it means that they are full even though they are full of of desire they uh, don't act on the desire unless they uh, unless it's appropriate to do so so it's using it's comparing the idea that it says zaviot or mizavenu and mileim are full meaning that there's a fullness and nonetheless they control it. Right? The reason that it says at the end that they are that they are cut, shaped like this, the form of really it means hechal, it means a palace, but it's saying the hechal of the Beta Mikdash, meaning that these children that are so pure and that are raised with such pure values, it's as if the Beta Mikdash was built in their days. Um, so this is a, obviously got off the topic of the, uh, because it got onto the Shira Shirim about the women and the, the boys and the girls that are pure and raised in purity. And now it continues on with a little bit of Agadah here. Um, and it talks about Hosh, uh, the Hoshea Hanavi. And it says, Dvar Hashem Asher Haya Ben Be'iri. 
that this was the word of Hashem that came to Hoshea ben Beri, who was one of the Nevi'im, as it's going to say, um, it, This was during the time of the... Uh, uh, during the time of, uh, of Uziah and Yotam and Achaz and Chizkiyahu, and also, uh, and the rest of the Pasukas, uh, 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 that he also lived to be mayor of Amben Yoash Melech Yisrael, which in Yeshayahu's case, it doesn't mention uh, Malchai Yisrael. He basically overlapped with Yeshayahu, Hoshea, and Yeshayahu lived around the same time. Right? So it's a Perkechad, Nipnabu, Dalad Nefi'im. That during one period of time there were four prophets. Because was the greatest of them. Because it says it says the beginning of Hashem's speech was to Hoshea. It's not true that Hoshea was the first person Hashem spoke to. There were many Nevi'im from the time of Moshe Rabbeinu to Hoshea. But it means he was the chief of the Nevi'im at that time. So even though you might think, oh, Yishayahu is so famous. I mean, he's... Uh, you know, he, uh, he all, almost every Haftarah is from Yeshayahu, and, you know, it's all of these amazing prophecies about, uh, about uh, uh, Mashiach. From, and, and he's saying, no, actually, Hoshea was greater than him. So they're all great Nevi'im, but oftentimes Yeshayahu, I think, overshadows everybody because of so much that he wrote. But, uh, but no, Hoshea was better. Now, what's the story of Hoshea? So Hashem said to Hoshea, your children have sinned, meaning the Jewish people. And really what Hoshea should have said was, they're your children, the, the children of the ones that you love. Please, you know, have mercy on them. You should have advocated for the Jewish people. Not only did Hoshea not say that, Hoshea uh, said, you're right, they're no good, and like the whole world belongs to you, so pick another nation. Why are you stuck with these uh, irrationally stuck to the Jewish people? Pick somebody else. What can I do with this old man? What kind of a fool is this Navi that he's telling me, forget about the Jewish people? Um, uh, so he says, right, so, uh, right, so, yeah, so Marlo, he says, I'm going to say to him, Right? So, right? so he, this is what he does to Hoshea in the beginning. He says, go and marry a, a prostitute, have children with her, and then divorce her. That's what I'm going to tell Right? If he can send away his wife after that, I'll also send away the Jewish people. As it says, Right? Go take for yourself a, uh, a prostitute wife. Uh, and you'll have uh, children that are illegitimate. Right? And it says, So he married this woman named Gomer Bativlaim. Right? And now they have all these drashot about why her name was Gomer. But the point is that, that uh, you know, according to the Rambam, all this takes place in Marea Nevu'ah. You know, in the in the in the of Ochim, he says, "Why would Hashem command the Nevi'im to these bizarre things, and uh, you know, go and marry a prostitute, or, and, or walk around without clothes on? All the th- strange things that are all in a prophecy that he ha- that he had, meaning in a dream he did that. Not that he actually did that, but uh, the pshat when he read it, it sounds like he actually did that. But I know your father always says that uh, you know the Rambam makes sense that it's, these ha- these strange things that happened in uh, Nevoa. He mentioned a few times that he thought you know." He thought it makes sense that what the Rambam says in the Maran yeah. The Rambam yeah. has, a, has a thing with Lot. Right, that's where the Rambam goes to a little bit of an extreme because he has a whole story as a dream. Yeah, yeah. 
He says it's like the Chalomot Sheker that are full of all kinds of random details. And that's the beginning of Vayera, right. How's and, it showing Hoshea's greatness? Meaning, right, if it's just, just a prophecy. Was greater, now what are we talking about? Right now, it's not it's telling you that greater. part. It's yeah, it's 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 just it's a separate point, right? Meaning, it said he was greater, but he also had to learn something, which was that he didn't advocate for the Jewish people, and he, you know, so he had to go through his own personal experience here. Why is she called Gomer? Amarav she called Gomrimba, meaning that everyone has relations with her. You know, Gomrim is a is a metaphor for completing relations. You know, but uh, uh, Why is she called Bativlaim? Dibara abat dibara abat is like uh, bad. Meaning she had a bad reputation, and her mother had a bad reputation. So she's like uh, coming from a bad. Uh, she's a low class girl, right? She was like a kedvela. She was like a. Uh, uh, she was like a uh, fruit sweet in the mouth of people, meaning that they loved her so much. She was. Uh, she was. Lo- she had a lot of customers. Right, Rabbi Yochanan and Marsha called the Shinba Kidvelad means that they all pre- like pressed figs are crushed. She was like basically everyone was having relations with her. She was uh, she was uh, she got around a lot. Another thing is Gomer. What does it mean? It doesn't refer to her personal conduct, but it means that that the nations of the world wanted to get rid of to destroy the Jewish people's economy at that time. They they did indeed do that because it says that uh, meaning that they they did they plundered them and they uh, they finished them off because it says and he, that, the, that he made the, uh, the king of Aram basically impoverished the Jewish people and made them like dust. Now, what happened after that? That uh, Hoshea has a child with this woman. And Hashem said to him to call the name of the son, uh, call him Yisrael. Which, uh, because, uh, because pretty soon, I am going to visit the blood of Israel on the house of Yehu. And I'm going to wipe out the whole kingdom of Israel. This was the story of Yehu was the uh, person that defeated Ahav. Ahav was a very bad king, of course. He was very wicked. Yehu came and killed all of that, uh, you know, wiped out that dynasty, replaced it with his own dynasty, but then his own dynasty also became idolaters. So therefore Hashem said, you know, uh, now what all that you did in the valley of Israel, that you, uh, that you killed all of the, uh, uh, you know, and destroyed the dynasty of, of Ahav, it was all a joke, because really it was just murder, basically, because you, uh, you didn't, it's not like you became uh, holy, your, your dynasty is just as bad, so therefore that whole kingdom is going to fall and is going to be destroyed. And, uh, and so the house of Yehu, meaning his dynasty after him, is going to be wiped out because they became just as corrupt as the people that they replaced. So what was the good? Right? So then, Vatar Od, Vatelet Bat, and had a daughter with her, Vayomelo, and Hashem said to him, Krashima, Lo Ruchama, call her, you will not have mercy, you will not be, uh, treated with mercy. Kilo Osif Od because I will no longer be merciful to the Jewish people. Um, uh, because I, I, that I should be, you know, that I should forgive them. Right? So the Shekina uh, Salem, that I should forgive their sins. And then he had a son with her. And Hashem said, in that case, call him, you are not my people. You know, like a lot of people call their child Ruchama or even, you know, Ami. They'll call him, uh, they call him all these names, but this is the opposite. Not my people. Right? That uh, you know that that uh, you're not my people, and I'm not going to be your God. 
לאחר שנולדו לו שני בנים ובת אחת. So after this, so all of the names of Hoshea's children are all referring to the punishment that God's going to bring upon the Jewish people that Hoshea just asked for. Right? He said you should punish them, you should get rid of them, they're bad. Right? Now what happens? Hashem says to him, okay, so now that you have these three kids, shouldn't you have learned from Moshe Rabbeinu? You know, as soon as, I, uh, as soon as I spoke with him, he separated from his wife. So you have to separate yourself from this woman also. What are you doing with this woman? You're, you're supposed to be holy. Uh, Hoshea said, what do you mean? These are my, ch- I have children with her. How can I leave her? I can't just kick her out. I can't uh, divorce her. You, that your wife is a prostitute. And your children are the children of uh, prostitution. You don't even know if they're really yours. You know, you know, it's not like your wife is so faithful that you could trust that these children really belong to you. And they didn't have DNA tests back then. So, that they are my children, they are the sons of the ones I tested, right? The Jewish people are the children of Abraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, right? One of the four things that I acquired in the world, one thing was the Torah, it says that Hashem acquired wisdom, the meaning the Torah was acquired by Hashem from the beginning of His way. And Shamaim Varitz Kinyan Echad, and the heavens and earth belong to Hashem, Dichtiv, Kone Shamaim Varitz. ובית So when Hoshea realized he made a mistake, he started to apologize and to do Teshuvah for what he did. Don't worry about yourself. Forget about yourself. He said, you should, you should instead pray for the Jewish people that I decreed upon them three bad decrees because of you. Right? What? Every time a child was born. Gets- right, each time he said, he, he, rejected, he said, I'm going to punish the house of Yehu, and I'm, gonna, I'm not going to be kind to you, and I'm going to reject you, right? So after that, uh, he, he asked for mercy, and, and the Gzera was, uh, was canceled. And that's why Hoshea begins to bless them. And if you look, it's very funny, because really, when you read the book of Hoshea in the beginning, it's almost impossible to understand The beginning, the book of Hosea without this Midrash. And all of, pretty much all the Mepharshim bring it. That in the beginning, it sounds very harsh, what is being said to Hosea. Very harsh. And then all of a sudden, Hosea starts saying all these wonderful, inspiring things about the Jewish people. In Perek Bet, he opens up with these beautiful, inspiring things. Like, what happened? How do we go from one extreme to the other? What happened here? First, he's getting a prostitute wife, and Hashem is telling him all these bad things are going to happen to the Jewish people. And then all of a sudden, he's blessing the Jewish people. What happened? So the only way that the, the way that the Chazal are explaining it is that the beginning was when Hoshea was approaching it like sort of a Midat din approach, you know, that we should punish and we should reject. And then when he realized that wasn't the way, so then, then he starts blessing them. And that's why the second parak opens up, that the Jewish people are going to be very numerous, like the sand of the sea. And, and it will be, instead of saying, and this is obviously a rejection of what was in the first parak, right? Instead of saying... Uh, right? Instead of saying, you're not my people, he'll say that you are the sons of the, you're the children of the living God. 
Right, so that's the um, and uh, similarly, and the children of Yehuda and children of Yisrael will be joined together, etc. And I will plant them in the land, and I will have mercy on the one that wasn't had didn't have mercy on them. And I will say, the one who is not my people, amiata, right, that you are my people. That's the end of the pasuk. Right? And they will say, and actually the, the very end of it is that they will say, Yomar And he will say, the Jewish people will say, this is my God. In other words, everything that he just told Hoshea with all the children, the, all the names of the kids, meaning the rejection of Israel, in the second parak, Hoshea is saying exactly the opposite. So what happened? Why in the first parak are all these condemnations coming down from Hashem that, you know, towards the Jewish people? And in the second parak, Hoshea is saying all these beautiful, positive things that are exactly the opposite of the first parak. So the Chazal are explaining that he went through his own transformation. That in the beginning, he was a critic and he was a midat adin. And then Hashem enlightened him to say, no, uh, I should have the opposite approach. I should pray for the positive instead of focusing on the negative. And that's how they explain that transition there. It actually fits, you know, is, is a, a very compelling interpretation that something happened there because otherwise you can't really explain the book. In any case, Amar B'Yohanan, Rabbanut. Woe is to the rabbis. No, that's not what it means. It means leadership. The people in charge, because people who are in political positions of leadership, it buries the people who has it. You don't have any Navi who didn't outlive at least five kings. Right? And what's the end of the Four kings, he outlived them. Right? We see in the beginning of Hosea that it mentions a king of Israel. It never mentions the Malchei Israel with the Malchei Yehuda. Why did this one particular king of Yeruvam ben Yoash from the dynasty of Yehu? Get mentioned in the uh, in Hosea's um, in Hosea's uh, uh, you know introduction. Even though he was one of the Malchei uh, Yisrael, why is he mentioned from the from Malchei Amos because he didn't accept the Shonara about Amos. How do you know that? Amos was another navi, right? Minalan. How do you know, right? Uh, so the, the question is. Um, how do you know the Imne, first of all, that he was counted among the Malchei Yehuda? Right? It mentions together with the Malchei Yehuda also this one king of Israel, which normally we don't mention the kings of Israel together with the, uh, the Malchei Yehuda. The Malchei Yehuda were one group, and like Yishayahu only talked to the Malchei Yehuda. He never mentions the Malchei Yisrael. Right, so why is he mentioning Malchisel? How do you know that he didn't accept the Shonara about Amos? Because it says that he received the report. Because the Kohen of Betel, which was basically a Kohen of idolatry in the kingdom of Israel, sent a message to Yerovah, to uh, this Yerovam. This was not the original Yerovam. This is a later Yerovam. Right, that there's a there's a conspiracy against you. <clears throat> because this is what Amos said, that you're going to die by the sword. So he, he was reporting to him, oh, this Navi Amos is declaring that you're going to be killed by the sword. You'd better do so. He's plotting against you. In other words, he, he was taking it as incitement. 
Right? In other words, instead of saying that, oh, he's telling a prophecy, he was saying, oh, he's inciting people to kill you by saying you're going to die by the sword. He's saying, hint, hint, you're going to die by the sword, meaning somebody should do it. So Yehovah said, no, God forbid he would say such a thing. And what can I do? If he actually said it, he must be speaking on behalf of God. The Shechina said him to, told him to say it. So because he didn't believe in the Lashon against Amos, he was considered to have some good uh, character. Right? Amar Rabbi Eliezer Rabbi Eliezer said, Even when Hashem is angry with the Jewish people, he remembers his mercy. Even when it wants to say that Hashem is going to be mean to the Jewish people, so to speak, and punish them, it says, I will no longer have mercy on them. He mentions the word Rachamim. In other words, he, he still wants to say it, the lack of the positive. Right? I won't Arachim. I won't have more mercy on them. Uh, because he still wants to connect to the, to the positive. When Hashem is speaking rhetorically and saying, shall I forgive them? He still says it, that if you read it, if you read it as a statement instead of a rhetorical question, it would mean, I'm going to forgive them. So it's, you know, it's entwined the positive statement. What was the reason why Hashem sent the Jewish people out into the nations of the world in exile? So that they would have Gerim that would join. Because Hashem is going to plant us in the land. Doesn't a person plant in order to bring out a lot of crops? In other words, Hashem planting the Jewish people across the world in all the different nations was to yield crops, not just to yield the crops of the Jewish people. But to bring Gerim converts who would join the Jewish people. Rabbi Yochanan Amehacha, the at Lohuchama, that it says in the Pasuk, I'm going to have mercy on Lohuchama. That's not the exact Pasuk, though, isn't it? Isn't there another word in there? Uh, a moment ago. Yeah, I, I feel like there's another word in the Pasuk that's missing. Yep. That's the whole puzzle. Oh, okay, yeah. So okay, so uh, so then what's that little dollar there? Oh, oh, because he wants to have the whole pasuk. That's right. Um, so so what is it? So that he's saying that is again an example of uh, of where Hashem, even in saying um, uh, that he's Hashem is saying means that the people that I didn't originally have a relationship with, are, I'm going to have a relationship with them. I'm going to have compassion on the ones I didn't have compassion on before. And the ones that were not my nation, the ones that were not part of my nation, meaning the Gentiles will become part of my nation. Right, he's saying the same concept that it's to bring non-Jews into the fold. Uh, it says, do not badmouth a slave to his master, meaning uh, uh, he shouldn't talk bad to, to the master about the slave, right? And what's and it says because you're going to be in trouble for that, right? This is in Mishle, I think. Right, this is Mishle, and it says. Because maybe he's going to curse you and you're going to be guilty. In other words, you get him in trouble with his employer, he's, he's, he's going to curse you, right? Uh, and yet it says, uh, it, it says right there uh, in the next pasuk, a generation that its father, it curses its father and it doesn't bless its mother. So what, what's the connection between these two things? Oh, wait, did I skip something again? 
Oh, Mishum Daviv Yekalel Vat Imoy Lo Yivarech Al Tashen Al Tashen. What's the connection? Why does it say don't don't badmouth the Eved to his master because you because you're in a generation where people disrespect their parents? I mean, what what, what does that have to do with anything? It says Ela Afilu Dor Shaviv Yekalel Vat Imoy Lo Yivarech. Even in a generation that disrespects its parents, Al Tashen Eved El Adonav, you still shouldn't badmouth a slave to its master. Minalan, how do you know that? Meoshea from the case of Oshea because you see that Oshea was saying bad things about the Jewish people to Hashem, and it was considered wrong, even though the generation he was criticizing deserved the criticism. It was a bad generation. But uh, you still shouldn't speak badly about Hashem's people to Hashem. So too, you shouldn't sp- they're using it as a metaphor from the Mishle, where it says you shouldn't speak badly about a servant to his master, even though people are all, you know, it's, it's in a generation that's a, it's a bad generation. You should still be respectful of them and advocate for them and try to see the positive. And that we learned from Hosea, that Hosea failed in that, uh, in that mission. So we'll, uh, oh, we'll go a little bit further, I guess, till the two dots, right? Um, yeah, Amar... Uh, what does it mean, Tzidkat Pirzono Yisrael? What does it mean, the righteousness of Pirzono is spreading out in Israel? What does it mean? What is this Pasuk referring to when it says the righteousness of Pirzono Yisrael, of the spreading out in Israel? And this Pasuk is actually uh, from Shoftim, it's from uh, Shirat Vorah. Right? But what does it mean? That Hashem did a kindness for the Jewish people by spreading them out among the nations. Like a certain uh, heretic said, the Rabbi Hanina, Anan malenan minaychu. We are better than you. Why? When it talked about Yoav, it said in six months, Yoav went and he wiped out all of the males in Edom. He did, you know, he did a genocide, genocidal uh, uh, campaign uh, that, that he did. Um, and we... Right? But us, we're much better than you Jews. You Jews did genocide, but you've been with us for so many years. We never hurt you. We're so nice. We Gentiles are kind and we have Christian love and all that. You know, Mina usually means a Christian. Right? So probably saying, oh, we have the Christian love. We don't hurt the Jews. You know, but you guys are genocidal and look what Yoav did. He said, He said, would you mind... If uh, one of the students, because this mean was talking to Rabbi Hanina, so Rabbi Hanina said, "Would you mind if one of the students answers you?" He said, "Sure." So Nitzpale Rabbi Oshaya, Rabbi Oshaya was the one. Amale Mishum The reason, the only reason why you guys don't kill all of us is because you don't know how to do it. You're caught in a dilemma. Tachlinan Kulu. If we wanted to kill all the Jews, we can't because we don't have control over all the Jews. Right? They're not all in it because Hashem, that's what it means, Hashem spread the Jewish people across the world so that there's no way for the Jews to be uh, all killed because they're not under one uh, regime. Right? If you only kill the ones that you have, they'll call you a torn kingdom because you're the only one that killed its own citizens, that killed its own Jews. Since you can't reach all the Jews in the world, imagine if all the Jews in the world had been under Hitler. Right? They'd be gone. Right, thank God that they were not. It would be totally wiped out. So that's what it's saying. If you could get away with it, you would if you had all of them in one place. But they're spread out, so you can't. You can only destroy your own, and then it just looks like you're targeting your own citizens. Nobody will because you're, you're not really going to get rid of all the Jews. Amarle said, by the God Gapav Rome, Beha Nachtinan That's exactly how we go to bed 
and we get up in the morning every night and every day, we think about that problem of the Jewish problem, right? So he says, uh, meaning when we go to bed at night, we're bothered by that, and we get up in the morning, meaning you read our minds, you know the truth. The truth is, there's something that bothers us. We really wish we could get rid of the Jews, but we just don't have the ability to do it. And, uh, and so uh, he, he caught them in that. So meaning it's not that you, true, you didn't commit a total genocide against the Jewish people, but it's not because you didn't want to do it, it's because you weren't able to do it for practical reasons. But if you could, you would. It's actually in the beginning of the, I remember reading it in, uh, also in Tanad Veliahu years ago. There's a similar uh, drasha where, the, where they talk about how, you know, in every nation, because it's impossible that every nation would ever partner with every other nation, because they're always fighting with each other. That's why the Jews are protected from being completely wiped out, because they'll never all coordinate to do one thing together to get rid of us. So we're safe. But uh, it ha- were the Jews all in one place, then they would be really vulnerable to uh, that kind of a uh, terrible fate. But it's very interesting, Gemara. So that's the chesed that Hashem did. So two reasons. One reason was to allow Gerim to join the Jewish people. And the other one was to prevent uh, genocide. Hashem spread us out so that they can't get all of us at once.